Hello and welcome to Bondcast, a podcast series where we discuss our views on the latest themes and events shaping rates markets. I'm Imogen Bakra, UK rate strategist, and I'm joined today by our global market specialists, Jan Navruzzi and Giles Gale. Okay, Jan, I'm going to kick off straight with you because we're recording this hot off uh, the latest CPI print, which came in lower than expected, uh, and it's driving a, a big move in markets this afternoon or, or this morning for you on Thursday. So um, talk to me, what, what drove that kind of downside surprise? Yeah, like you said, it, it was a very welcome development. Inflation came below expectations. Uh, you know, just to give a couple of numbers for context, the headline monthly number was 0.4, uh, which equates to 7.7% uh, on a year-on-year basis versus 0.6 expected. So uh, certainly a lot below, you know, what what market pricing was looking at and, uh, you know, general Bloomberg consensus from economists was looking at too. Similarly, uh, the core component was a soft 0.3. So like unrounded was something along the lines of like 0.27. Uh, it's certainly showing downtrend and I'll go into the with, uh, within the components in a second too, but overall pretty good news and the market reaction was appropriately, you know, priced, uh, led to a massive bond rally and general fixed income rally and massive stock rally too, as, uh, you know, maybe prematurely, maybe not, but market participants sort of extrapolated that this means uh, that the worst of inflation might be behind us. And a little bit digging into the components that drove the uh I guess the, the relative slowdown compared to last month. And it, it's still important to point out that inflation is running at a high pace. It's just uh, we're seeing a slower rate of increase. So the second derivative there is uh, it, it showing a decrease, which is, of course, kind of what the Fed is looking like now. We're not, no one is expecting inflation to come back to target very soon anyways. But uh, I think three main things that I'll focus on within this inflation report that helped bring the uh, bring the the, the release lower. First is the generally what's called like the housing component, the rentals and owners equivalent rent, OER. Uh, OER is a makes 25% of the index in itself. And that showed like two tenths of a decrease compared to last month. And that's good news because we have discussed before and uh, media picks this up too often that uh, the CPI housing measures or like rental measures are lagging the what's happening in the spot rental markets with new rents. Uh, but we didn't really have a good answer of when that peak would come. So if we saw an acceleration again this month, uh, it, it could have implied that there's more to come and the, your whole inflation profile just shifts a lot more to the future. And uh, because it is very unlikely for us to see you know, rents collapsing in within the CPI from one month to next month, if, if it goes 0.8. It's, it's not going, we're just not going to see the scenario where it's suddenly 0.5 the month after or 0.3 after that. It, that, that rapid decline just doesn't occur by design. Uh, so that was one, and it shows that perhaps the, the peak in increase, in the rate of increase in uh, shelter has, uh, has arrived. The second was the medical care component that uh, came below what we had expected. We were looking for a decline and it's sort of, it is due to the, mostly due to how medical care component is measured. I'm not going to get too much into the kind of like uh, the calculations there, but the important thing is that it, uh, the medical, the, the, the component about insurance premiums of uh, 
So our premiums of insurance gets reset in October, and basically the BLS carries that number almost uh, equally across the entire year. And this reset showed a much bigger decline that than we would have expected. So that was down half a percentage point on a monthly basis. And it will provide a drag to inflation over the next 12 months as well. Uh, so, so that's certainly good news. And finally, uh, what used car prices gave, used car prices are now taken away too. Remember like a year ago, we were seeing this 10% monthly increase in used car prices. That was the almost the reason for the transitory rhetoric that was introduced. Uh, now they're, they're going down and we had seen in, alternative data providers like Mannheim and JD Power about uh, car price transactions showing decline. It was only a matter of time and looks like that the matter has occurred now. And now it's now is when we're seeing that starting to see the declines. We saw about two and a half percentage point decline in the used car prices. So even though they make smaller parts of the overall CPI index, uh, big drops like that, you know, will have a relatively outsized impact. And uh, if this trend continues, it's certainly something that uh, Fed will welcome. Okay, I guess that leads us nicely onto the discussion of, of what this really does mean for the Fed. And this is obviously one of two inflation prints that they will have before the December meeting. Um, but does this nail on 50 basis points, you think? Yeah, yeah, I think so. And let me make again, <laughs> Three is a lucky number today, so I'll make again three points around that. <laughs> that I think, I think uh, are my main takeaways from inflation with respect to Fed. Of course, fifty basis points for December looks a lot more likely. So that's one. That, you know, the whole a tail risk of seventy-five or even hundred has been clipped. I, I don't want to quite rush and say seventy-five is not possible anymore, but it sure looks like it. Fifty is a very safe bet for for December for now. So that's one. And the second thing, the second thing is. You know how we talked last week about Fed promising, not promising, but pretty much alluding to uh, three things, lower pace of hikes in December, longer period of hikes, so higher terminal rate and stay there for longer. So the first one is looking like very likely in December, lower hike, a pace of hikes at 50. But the other two things of reaching a higher terminal rate, so like something above 5% or staying there for longer are now looking slightly less likely compared to, say, yesterday. Uh, so I think that's pretty much the, the reaction, the market's, uh, uh, you know, market's reaction, uh, a broad-based kind of like rally and a, and a steeper curve as front-end tightening got priced out. So, and, and the final point before the Fed, I, I think I, I need to outline is, while this is good news, I think we shouldn't be looking at this as, uh, and, and saying, the problem has been solved. We have another inflation number before the December meeting at during the Fed's blackout period. We also have another jobs number. So there are still variables going in there and we will see the dots uh, as part of the quarterly projections of the Fed, what the, you know, the, the Fed people expect for the, the their forecast for next year's and beyond uh, for Fed fund rates. So uh, that certainly, this today's number certainly makes it less likely to go above 5%, but if we get another, if we get a reacceleration in December with the next CPI number, who knows? And uh, that will certainly be determining the next leg of market repricing. How does that leave your rates views then, and and I guess regular 
or long-time readers will know that we are currently in the process of, of updating and refreshing all of our views and forecasts for our year ahead. So a bit of a shameless plug there, we'll be publishing that uh, for subscribers of our research uh, next week on Friday. Uh, but how does this leave your rates for use currently, notwithstanding the fact that uh, they might be tweaked a little bit over the next week or so? Yeah, so uh, over the past few weeks, we had scaled into steepeners and like real yields in anticipation of similarly seeing them at like above one and a half percent look pretty attractive to us. So we did see generally lower, longer dated real yields that worked out pretty well today after this release uh, into the year ahead. We are also talking about more, uh, you know, re cycle reversing trades like 530 steepeners uh, that, of course, gained a lot today, but uh, we, we won't have that published until next week. Anyways, in any case, uh, you know, our view of rates topping out around here, uh, and it is one of our key teams going to next year, seem to be, you know, proven right by today. And uh, I don't want to tend this to have like a, a short shelf life, but for now, it certainly looks like the pressures are turning to, to downside in rates as opposed to, uh, and, and to steeper curves, as opposed to flatter and higher. That's in the US, but, but what about in Europe then, Giles? You know, this pivot theme hasn't just been a US-focused one, as we know the US often leads the way, but it feels like global markets have kind of latched onto this idea that a pivot might be underway. How are you thinking about that in Europe, and does today's inflation, US inflation print uh, change anything for you? Does that scale back your expectations of a hike from the ECB in December? Um, how are you framing your thoughts now? Yeah, so the, the Fed always puts pressure on other central banks, of course, uh, most obviously via the currency, um, as we well know. But we have been looking for a lower sort of lower profile than the market has in mind um, for some time now. That's something I've been repeating for a while. Um, our base case is that the ECB actually stops at around two and a quarter. Um, I think that the risks are clearly on the upside against that. But I think that um, compared to where we started the day at the very least, there was uh, certainly a lot of room for a slower and lower um, ECB path. But you know, whether that means an out-and-out -out pivot, I mean, I suppose defined pivot, really. I mean, you know, if that just means pivot to a slower pace, then that was already a meeting away, to be honest with you. Um, I think that it's important to just notice some of the differences, though, in the economic inflation environment um, in, in the US versus, versus Europe. And um, you know, until now, we've tended to accentuate the, uh, the more inflationary or sort of domestically generated inflation that we've had in, uh, in, in the US. But it's, it's interesting to see, for example, Schnabel uh, had a speech today that picked up on a Bank of Ireland study of wages, um, wage trends in real time taken from job ads, which pointed to higher wages to, to come, particularly in Germany. And then that was followed up by the economic bulletin, which um, 
just a couple of things that I would draw out from that. One was the chart on the underlying inflation measures, which really do look strongly skewed to the upside um, compared to where we are now in sort of headline core uh, inflation. And there was also a report um, in one of their little boxes where they talk about you know, the findings from their discussions with, uh, with firms and the, the intelligence from the real economy from those uh, discussions was really that they see higher uh, ongoing wage pressure uh, well into next year. It's been a busy week for ECB speak um, and we touched on this briefly I think last week or certainly in the UK context but away from I guess just the, the direct discussion around whether they're going to hike well how high they're going to hike rates to or not and, and QT and things like that we've also obviously been focused on um, I guess uh, funding stresses at, at the front end and this idea of collateral scarcity and the measures that the ECB could or might introduce to alleviate those pressures. Today they announced that they have made changes to their um, securities lending program. Does that mean anything? Will that go any way to kind of help those pressures that, that we've seen at the front end? Yeah, so the details were that um, essentially they make they make the securities that they that they've bought in their various QE programs available uh, for lending both against other bonds and against cash. And what they did today was to raise the limit um, that they will lend, no, the total limit that they will lend securities against cash from 150 to 250 billion euros. And yeah, I do think that will make a difference, um, particularly for Bund. Essentially. The you know, that that well as was 150 billion. It was never being used fully, but that's partly I think because um, it wasn't that wasn't 150 billion for what the market wants. That was a total um, at the aggregate level, and then that needs to be apportioned uh, by country by national central bank according to uh, you know, something like a sort of modified capital key and so the, the the maximum amount of bunds which is really what the market's short of that could could be bo borrowed was probably significantly below that and may well have been close to binding uh, on a regular basis and so just by raising that ceiling i think that they do um, they do ease a, a constraint so and I suppose that there's an open question why they didn't raise that much further, given um, that dra uh, no, draining reserves is no longer an issue in this sort of you know, tightening <coughs> monetary policy environment. Um, you know, I think that there may be um, you know, some questions about TLT interference with TLTRO repayments, and it may just be that they're you know, seeing how much um, you know, reasonable increments, how much difference they they can make, and they'll they'll take it as they as they go. So I, I do think they could increase this further. Um, but above all, I just think that this shows some sensitivity to the collateral shortage theme. So you know, just I guess you know, flexing what they've already what they already have in place before doing anything new. But I don't think that this means that they don't have anything new um, if that should be needed. And just to round out the discussion on Europe this week, then, you know, we were just talking to Jan about the US CPI for and I was saying that's been a, a, a kind of major global market mover. We're seeing BTP spreads or BTPs rather yields rally 
about 20 basis points, I think, when I just left the desk to record this. So there's clearly a more kind of positive tone in credit. Is it is it just being driven by the inflation print? Is there more to it than that? And do you see this kind of sustaining into year end? No, there definitely is more to it than just that. Um, it, you know, I mean, clearly BTPs are loving this um I guess lower rates and you know, sort of slower rate rises theme, but you know, I think you know, I mean playing into that, you've got um, I mean you know, you've got the U.S. inflation, um, you've got uh, you know, lower rates. That's that, no, this is all good news. You've got you know you, we, as we've discussed in in recent podcasts, you know, there, there there are no domestically no, d- d- domestically sort of negative stories coming out of Italy just at the moment. Um, there was last, uh, no, I suppose it was earlier this week, <laughs> actually wasn't it, um, this story of a, bu- a budget increase, the new deficit target being uh, 5.6% for, for this year, but let's say no political trauma, um, supply concluding for the year. Uh, we have lower volatility overall, uh, or at least the prospect of it um, in rates. And I think you know there's also um you know, ad- adaptation to this idea that there's a little bit less energy panic as well. So you know, I think that there is every possibility that we may actually end up um, at the end of this year tighter than 200 basis points in B2B bond spread. So um, yeah, I think that that can continue to follow through. So with that, let's go back to you then and talk about a little bit about the, the UK. Um, so last week we spoke a little bit about the collateral scarcity theme in the UK context and uh, stress in funding markets and so on. In fact, it seems like it's made you famous and possibly the most niche way possible. I always assume there was, <laughs> you know, maybe, maybe a more glamorous route available to you, but let's not get too hung up on that. Um, how's that developed this week? I always thought about the bonkers that made me famous, not my views on what the Bank of England can do in funding markets. But there we go, you know, take what you can get. Um, so actually, for all uh, the kind of focus that we were giving it last week uh, and the note that I wrote on Monday morning, it feels like those pressures have alleviated a little bit in the UK this week. Now, part of that could just be due to supply. We've had a really heavy supply outlook this week. Not outlook, we've had a really heavy supply week. Um, We had a lot from the government side. We had three um, issues from the government, one of them being the new 15-year syndication. We obviously had the um, QT uh, auction as well at the beginning of the week. Uh, but also, I guess more importantly, we've had credit markets reopen a little bit. Uh, we've seen some financial issuance. Um, and yeah, we've seen just generally a, a heavy week for issuance, which might have helped, I guess, alleviate some of the pressure that, that we were seeing. Um, I guess the, the conclusion that we sort of alluded to last week, and I think that anyone who's read our note will, will have read that, it felt like we've reached the point where the Bank of England were now stay, starting to take notice of, of what was happening. Uh, and perhaps we were getting to um, a point where, you know, it was close enough or that they, that they were thinking about the ways that, that they might intervene. 
Now, um, that means that it probably feels like fairly one way risk in, in front end swap spreads at the moment. You know, either the market kind of uh, resolves this of, of its own accord and market forces um, alleviate some of the pressures that we were seeing or the Bank of England step in. Um, I think probably if we're talking about the Bank of England stepping in, the most likely um, kind of intervention, if you like, at least in the first instance, is for some sort of um, repo facility. And a lot of people have been referring to this as a kind of Fed style RRP, but perhaps more likely is one that's a bit more size and time limited, unlike the Fed, um, but essentially works in, in the same way. Um, and that could be implemented fairly swiftly and, and at least would help with kind of pressures that we might experience over the year end, over the turn. Um, an alternate and perhaps more long-term and maybe more permanent solution um, is that they could actually just start selling um, the bonds more quickly that, that they have on their balance sheet or, or even just start selling the very front-end bonds. You know, one of the key features, I think, um, of the short bond auction that we had two weeks ago was that it was the shortest bonds in that bucket, so the kind of three-year bonds that were the most bid. Um, part of that is because one of those bonds will now roll into the sub three sector and, and therefore won't be sold. Um, but the, the Bank of England could easily um, extend that bucket. So they have a kind of longer maturity instead of being three to seven, they perhaps sell one to seven, let's say. Or they could just create a whole new bucket, which they also sell um, in regular auctions. Um, obviously, that doesn't kind of alleviate the problem as quickly as setting up a, a repo facility might, um, but, but perhaps the, the two could be combined over the longer term to, to create a more, a more long-term solution. Okay, right. So um, with that, let's think a little bit about, uh, a little bit about next week. So um, there's lots of data. Um, what do you think the markets will, and the Bank of England are going to be focused on there? Yeah, I guess the highlight really will be the inflation print. Um, obviously, that comes hot off the heels of the Fed today, or not the Fed, the US inflation print today. Um, but slightly differently, I suppose, we see quite a jump still in um, headline CPI. Um, I guess, importantly, for the kind of profile of the forecast, we expect the October print um, that we get next week to be the peak. So we have 10.6 in headline CPI. Uh, that's up from 10.1 last month. Um, core, we expect to edge down slightly. So it'll be 6.4, that's versus 6.5 last month. Um, but I guess the important point here, uh, and perhaps particularly relevant when we're thinking about, you know, is this a pivot or is it not? And, and what really is a pivot is that we still expect inflation to be very sticky for the next couple of months. So even though we think we might have seen the peak in core inflation, uh, and we think that this will be the peak in headline CPI, we pretty much have them both sticking in their current ranges, 0.1 of a, a percentage point either side of that um, for the next couple of months, you know, still in February, for example, in our current profile, we have inflation um, above 10%. Um, so the peak may well be coming in, but I don't think that you'll be able to um, kind of conclude from, from next week's figures um, that the Bank of England will be confident enough, I think, to, to take their foot off the gas in any kind of material way, you know, to the extent that they felt justified to step up to a 75 basis point hike in the November meeting, largely off the back of the data 
uh, and the fiscal stimulus, um, it's difficult to see um, if we do get you know, headline CPI coming in at 10.6% next week, um, how they will justify kind of taking their foot off that accelerator and stepping back down to 50 uh, when the fiscal stimulus is obviously still there and, and inflation is, is still very high. Uh, we'll also get labour market data. That's probably the other kind of key uh, data that the Bank of England are watching. And before then, uh, although I won't talk about this too much because we get that tomorrow and, and um, everyone will know what the print is, but, but just to flag that we also have GDP data, uh, which we expect to be weak and therefore set the, set the uh, economy on course for a, a technical or an official recession in Q3 and Q4. Um, so it's a bit of a mixed bag, I guess, in terms of the data, because we're expecting the kind of uh, growth to, to be pretty weak, but inflation still stays strong. But I think together, um, it's probably enough at this point to keep your expectations for the Bank of England at, at 75 basis points in December. Okay, and I guess the other thing that's happening next week is it's the, the budget uh, next next Thursday, of course. Um, lots yeah. of talk and headlines about spending cuts and tax cuts. So maybe you can just run us through um, <laughs> what you've heard and uh, what you think about all of that. Yes, finally, <laughs> we're back at um, the budget week again. Uh, yeah, like you say, there's been a huge amount of focus, I suppose, around, you know, the fiscal gap or the fiscal black hole that Hunt's going to try and fill and how he's going to fill that with different spending cuts, um, different tax hikes. I guess the very kind of near-term implication for markets is that most of the policies that um, we expect him to announce when it comes to spending cuts and tax hikes are not going to be um, immediate. You know, he'll be looking to close this kind of fiscal gap over the next five years. And so although you know, I think that this is fiscal tightening versus where, obviously fiscal tightening versus where we were six weeks ago, or even less than six weeks ago. Um, the immediate implication for the government financing needs are actually quite minimal. We still have very high financing needs for the remainder of this fiscal year and for the fiscal year ahead. Uh, and although we might get marginal tweaks to that on Thursday, um, I don't expect that to kind of materially alter the supply outlook, which, as regular listeners will know, um, is, is increasing. And I, I still think, and especially today, given how, you know, how much yields have rallied off the back of this inflation print, I think that markets are overpricing this idea of a, a pivot in the UK and underpricing how much um, supply is about to come on board and, and who's going to be able to take down that supply. So there's definitely going to be a lot of focus on, on spending cuts the tax hikes but I don't think you know for the near-term picture I don't think it's it's really going to alter very much I will say one of the headlines that we've had overnight is that this eight percent um surcharge on uh bank profits that was maintained in the mini budget Hunt is looking at uh, potentially cutting that to three percent um Again, it's not fiscally hugely important. Um, it only raises about a billion a year, keeping it at 8%. So cutting that isn't, uh, isn't going to be a game changer 
for you know the government finances um but perhaps at the margin um you know we've been talking a lot about the potential for tiering uh, and actually our base case was that you know tiering um given that this is about redistributing uh you know bank profit essentially or recouping bank profit from the interest that they earn on reserves actually falls under the bracket of, of fiscal policy rather than monetary policy uh, and therefore we thought a kind of easier and cleaner way of implementing or, or at least reaching the same end as, as tiering would would be to implement a windfall tax but if he's thinking about cutting the, the surcharge on bank profits then I think it makes a windfall tax uh, pretty unlikely as well. Uh, I will stop there though, I kind of flagged it already earlier, but um, the other exciting thing that's happening next week, apart from all that data in the budget in the UK, uh, is that we will be publishing our year ahead, so anyone who subscribes to our research, please do look out for that, and I'm sure that there will be um, a year ahead Bondcast special on the way. Uh, but until then, uh, just to remind everyone that if you liked today's episode, don't forget to hit the like button and click subscribe so you can get the latest episodes as soon as they're available. Thanks, see you next week.